0: life can be a challenge a race a journey a competition it can be filled with struggles battles testing and trials of all kinds but you can endure overcome and succeed in whatever comes your way god gives us all that we need to live a successful life when we focus on him and choose the path that he set out for us He designed the pattern for us to live by. He shows us how to avoid the things that trip us up and can lead to dead ends. He encourages us to keep going and to be at peace as we press on. So forget the pain and troubles of the past. God forgives us when we fail and he promises to meet all of our needs. You can go the distance when you set your eyes on the prize and discover how to win within. Well, good
1: morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today. And all of you who are online, I welcome you. I'm so grateful that you are a part of this service as well. And everyone who is in person, I want to say, yay, God, for you. In May, on one of the Sundays in May, we reached what was 60% of our pre-COVID attendance. You know, now everything is judged by pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, post-COVID, all kinds of COVID stuff. And we had finally gotten back to 60%. And we got so excited about it. Not every one of the Sundays were that, but this one particular Sunday was. not it said to us, hey, we're making progress. So in the month of June, I challenged us as a church, let's go to 65%. Let's have one, at least one service that is 65% of what we were running in our services at pre-COVID. We're not there yet, but we're really close. So why does it matter? We're just wanting to get everybody back. We're wanting people to come back and be in person because church is not the same online. That Church is not the same when we are watching somebody else sing or maybe we are are lowly singing maybe some of the words that we know, but it is coming together and worshiping together and being together and living life at least in part of our week together, seeing that we're not the only ones, we've got a whole crowd of people, we are part of a family. We're wanting to get everybody back. And we're hoping that you'll help us do it. we got one more Sunday, and I'm hoping that you'll come and be a part of Sunday in person, in person next Sunday morning. Now, today is Father's Day. And of all the holidays, I mean, this is in my top one-third of holidays. And I think it's in the top one-third because I get a present on Father's Day. I like to give presents, and I love to get presents. And so this is a great day, but it's also a great day because... This church has so many godly men. Every church I've been in, that was the same case, but this church has more. So many men who love the Lord who are walking the walk. No one in this room or or listening online is perfect, but we are striving to walk the walk. We're trying to be genuine in our faith and our walk with Christ. And there are so many men in this church that are doing that. You, You love the Lord. You love your wife you love your kids, you love this church, and you are striving to live that kind of life, and yay God for you. So I'm going to ask all men, if you are online or you are in person, would you stand right now? All of our dads, would you stand, and let's give it up for our dads today. Yay God for us. Yay God. <laughs> Amen. I don't know if you've noticed, but there is a real struggle these days to find a sense of happiness to find a genuine, authentic, lasting kind of satisfaction and happiness in life. And part of it, I think, is the whole culture seems to be, it feels at least, to be ablaze. I don't think it actually is. I think the media sure paints it that way. And there is constant, I'm angry at this, I'm mad at you, and I hate you, and all this kind of stuff that's going on in the culture. And maybe some of that is a struggle and a pressure that we feel in our heart. But i got to tell a whole lot of the struggle in finding happiness in our life is not that. A whole lot of it is attaching a set of circumstances to our life. I'll be happy when? I'll be happy whenever I get a new job. I'll be happy I'll have have a deep abiding happiness when I get a raise. When I get a promotion... When I get married and I find my dream spouse, I will finally be happy. When we have babies, as long as I can have babies. When I get babies, I am going to be so happy. When my babies are out of the diapers, I will finally, finally be happy. When my children are now in school for uh, almost all day, for five days a week, for nine months out of a year, I will finally be happy. When my kids graduate from high school, I will finally be happy. Look at what's going on. I mean, when I finally have grandkids, when I finally retire, we keep pushing it out with a set of circumstances that we're sure. When I get to that place, I will finally be happy. I heard a story years ago, and and it was pretty impactful in my life, of a young woman who married a young guy. That guy was in the army. And right after they got married, to their surprise, Uh, he got transferred to California on the edge of the desert. It was a foreboding place. It was not a fun place at all. It was a harsh place. And he even said to her, look, everything I'm hearing, you should not move with me. You should not go to this. You should just wait until I get past this tour." And she said, no way. We are newly married. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to stand by you. No place is bad enough for me not to go to. And then they got there. And I'm telling you, the best place they could possibly rent was a shack right outside of an Indian town where hardly anybody spoke English. And they were stunned by how bad this place was. They'd been told in advance, he told his wife, no, I'm going to be with you, and here they are. It was 115 degrees in the shade. It was the desert. It was dirt everywhere, dust everywhere, couldn't get rid of it. They rented that shack, they moved there and it was hard. The only place, the only re- really relationship that she had was her husband and, and it was just such a lonely place. And then of all things, uh, he, he was assigned to go with a group deeper into the desert for maneuvers, for training, and that sort of thing, and be gone for a while, and all and oh, that was shocking to her, and, and she gave up. She just said, I've I, I got to get out of here, and she, had to, she wrote her mother. She didn't text her mother. There was no internet. She didn't call her mother. There was no cell towers. There was no landline that she had access to. So she actually took a real live piece of paper and she wrote on the piece of paper and sent it to her mother and said, in about a week or so, I'm coming home to stay until we we get in a better situation. And to her shock, her mother responded immediately and it came back to her and her mother said, no, wait a minute, don't do this too quickly. I want you to sit and think about this for a little while. And then she simply wrote, her mother simply wrote on the piece of paper two men looked through prison bars. One saw mud, and the other saw stars. And when the the girl, the, the young woman read that, she at first it was what? But then as she thought about it, she understood. She thought about it a while and she made the decision, mom's right. I got to find stars in this place. So the next day, she went to this Indian village. She did a little shopping there. She found a couple of people that knew a little bit of English. She talked to them, and, and she asked, would you introduce me to some of the young women in the town? It was very small. They knew. Every, everybody knew everybody. And she got to meet some of these young ladies. Didn't know really much English, and, and she didn't know any of their language. But she asked them, would you teach me how to weave baskets and how to make pottery? Well, at first it was stand off, you know, we don't really trust you. But after a while they began to understand she was sincere and they, they said, sure, come and join us. And they taught her how to weave baskets, how to make pottery. And they got to know each other and, and they actually learned some English and she learned some of their language. And over time, she began to understand them better. She began to understand their culture and their history a little bit better. And to her amazement, she made friends in this group. And to her amazement, she began to view the desert even a little bit differently. It began to look somewhat pretty to her. And she began to have questions about the desert. She wrote her mom back, send me all the books you can find about the desert. Her mother sent her whole box full of books. And, and she began to pore over every one of them, began to study the desert. And she discovered there were wonders out in that desert. There were all kinds of different plants out there. And she took the books and and began to find the plants out in her desert. And and she began to understand the, the animals that lived out there and the beauty of the desert. And over time, what happened is that she fell in love with the desert. And she became such an authority on this little Indian village as she kept asking questions and learning about these people and making friends and about the desert and this beauty. She became such an authority. She wrote a book about her story and the beauty of the desert that she had found. So what had changed? Well, these Indian people hadn't changed and the desert hadn't changed. She changed. She began to see through new eyes, a new attitude. This morning I want to talk to you about the surprising pathway to happiness we've been involved in now a series, it's a short series, it ends next week, just in the month of June about uh, how to win within. All of us can have winning moments in our lives, but to have a winning life is very different. We, we win not by the trophies that we get, we win by how we change inside, we win within. And the passage of scripture we're looking at is teaching us how to win inside. We saw there's a pattern to winning a successful life of winning inside. That was the first message. We we saw that the the real key to winning is to win in the mind. And and we saw the four things, the four keys of winning, a mindset that changes, that is a, a new way of thinking about life. And this morning I'm going to talk to you about the surprising pathway to happiness. If you take all that the Bible says about the word happiness, and there's a ton. The Bible really talks a lot about this in the Old Testament, New Testament. You take all those passages of scripture that talk about how to actually be a a deeply happy, joyful human being. You take it all and you sort of distill it down. It comes to one word, contentment. It's the key, contentment. So the question is what is Contentment. What does it mean to be contented in our lives? Well, the Bible says in the passage that we're looking at in Philippians chapter four, verse eleven: "Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances that I am." That word contentment. What does it mean? It means needing no more than what one has right now in order to be satisfied. So what things do you have right now? What are the circumstances of your life right now? Being willing to be satisfied with where you are right now. Now it's important that we understand what God is saying, what God is not saying. Maybe some of you are, are arguing just a little bit with me, or that a uh, whole idea of, of contentment in your mind, but but I want you to understand what God is saying and what is not saying. God does not mean that to be contented, we are simply to accept the status quo. He's not talking about passivity in life. That's not the idea. We aren't to simply be satisfied with sin or failure. We're not simply to be satisfied and accept injustice. We're not to be satisfied with what we know now or how far we've grown now. We're always to be pressing forward. There are some things we're never to be satisfied with, but there are two things that we must become satisfied with for us to become a happy person and to have a happiness that sustains. There has to be two things that we decide we will be contented. First of all, we are to be contented with God's leadership in our life. God has a plan for your life. You're not here by accident, you're here on purpose. He has a plan for your life. He wants you to accomplish something in your life. He doesn't want you just to live and, and go through the exercise of getting up in the morning going to bed at night and, and doing whatever it is you do that occupies your time and going to sleep and getting up the next day and doing the same thing. He doesn't want you just live and die. You have a purpose. There is a meaning to your life and he wants you to accomplish it. He wants you to live in such a way that you accomplish this purpose that he has for you. And in the midst of God's plan, in the midst of God's work in your life, he has open doors and he has closed doors and we love open doors. Oh God, you're such a great God when we have open doors. And Then, but what happens when the doors close? Somebody said something that was funny but I didn't hear it. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, but that's not part of the sermon. But that's a great idea. Now, what he said is we just force that door open. You can't always do that, though. And there are some closed doors that God won't let be open. At least not for now. So what do we do with this? What happens when there are closed doors that you can't open? Get a crowbar. Okay, we're having a lot of help today. Thank you so much, you get a crowbar. Actually, it's God that opens this door. So let's talk about that for just a moment. Oh, I love this help. There is a crowbar and there is a one who opens it and it's God. But what do we do between the time God opens it and the time we're going through the closed doors? How do you respond to this? What do you do? Is it, is it you're angry with God? You're frustrated with God? That's the right answer. Are you crying and you're whining? No. No, we don't do that. There is a sense it, while we're in the desert a sense in which we are going through these hard times, these difficult moments, that we find a sense of contentment even in those moments. That we come to a place of contenting, being contented with God's leadership in our life. The second thing that he says that we're to be contented with is God's provision in our life. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord makes one poor and another rich. He brings one down and he lifts another up. In other words, God moves in our life and sometimes we've got enough and other times we don't feel like we have enough. But yet, no matter where we are, what God wants is our willingness to be contented with whatever he chooses us to bless us at the moment. God is saying, I want you to come to a place to be contented with my leadership in your life and be contented with my provision in your life. It's not easy, is it? But it's the key to genuine lasting happiness. Now, I, wanna, I want to do this right. I, I want to be careful, and I want to be fair to actress, actor Lori Laughlin. Did you know that Lori Laughlin is a Christ follower? Did you know that Lori Laughlin has talked very openly about her relationship with God and her love for Christ? And I, I don't know her personally, but uh, others that do know her Talk about off the screen that she is actually a, a really nice person and a, and a person who loves God. I mean, she has times in which she is closer and times that she's not as close. I suppose somewhat like us, but she's our sister in Christ. But she and her husband made a terrible mistake, a terrible decision. And it's out there in front of God and everybody They've been in the news, why? Because of a college uh, entrance scandal in which they got their two daughters into UCLA when they didn't qualify. And they did it with their money, they did it with their influence, and they did it with their lives. And they were caught and sentenced. For Lori Laughlin, it was two months in prison and 150 hours of community service, 100 hours of community service and $150,000 fine. And for her husband, it was five months in prison and it was $250,000 fine. And it was, it was 250 hours of community service. The U.S. District Judge Nathaniel Gordon made this statement as he addressed uh, actor Laughlin. He said this. Here you are, an admired, successful, professional actor with a long-lasting marriage, two apparently healthy and resilient children, more money than you could possibly need, a beautiful home in sunny Southern California, a fairy tale life, and yet you stand before me a convicted felon. And for what? For the inexplicable desire to grasp even more. Now, I bring her up not to dump on her, but to say to us, how much has our greed gotten in our way? What have we done when we've had so much that God has given to us and that we give our ground, ground in our life to greed? There is a difference between the blessing of God and the greed of us. And all of us have struggled in our lives when we get to the place in which things and money have become too important to us in which then we've crossed a line and we've made a desperate mistake. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 8. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I want you to see what he says. Godliness with contentment equals success not all the things we own not not what we've accomplished in a in a business environment not how much money we have but godliness with contentment is what actually equals success philippians chapter 4 verse 11 and 12 says it this way for i have learned to be content in whatever circumstances i am I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And the key word that I want you to notice in the passage is the word learned. We, we don't get this from listening to a 30-minute sermon. We, we get this as a lifelong pursuit in our life in which we are striving with everything that we have to learn this principle. And sometimes we're successful and other times we're not. The truth is, God doesn't want us only to rest in peace when we die. He wants us to rest in peace while we live. He wants us to be in this place while we live in which we learn the secret of being contented even in the desert, even in the hard moments of our life. That doesn't mean the absence of goals. It means the willingness to learn in between where you are. Have a moment at these, each moment of your life in which you are experiencing true happiness and a true sense of deep satisfaction and contentment. Now, there's three ways to do that. There are three ingredients to coming to this place. How do I get there? There are three ways that Paul is teaching us in this passage of Scripture about how to get there. And the first one is simply this, cultivate Gratitude. And so listen to what he says in Philippians 4.10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Last week, we talked about this for a few moments. I'm gonna go back there for just a few moments today, and here is the the thing. Paul, when he writes this this passage of scripture, this whole book, he is a prisoner in jail, in prison. With not getting out, he is waiting for the verdict, whether he, will he be killed or not? And he doesn't know the answer. He just knows he didn't do anything wrong. Will I be executed or not? And it turned out he was executed for only one reason, because of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he is there in a prison cell waiting for the verdict. And he says, rejoice in the Lord greatly. And many times through the book of Philippians, he's saying rejoice in the Lord again. I say rejoice. He is saying be thankful about wherever you are, where, whatever is happening in your life. So part of this is this, becoming thankful in our lives for the not so good moments that we experience, and all of us have them. All of us have situations and circumstances in which, oh man, I didn't see that one coming. I never felt like I deserved that. I should not be in the place I'm at right now, but yet here I am in the not so good times of our life. They are blessings, not the perfect, in the, in the not so perfect, less than perfect gifts of our life. They are blessings in our life, but blessings in disguise, and some of them are greatly disguised. But to learn to be thankful in those moments, even in the deserts of our life. It is coming to a place of being thankful for even the mundane things, the things we routinely take for granted in our life. For instance, you woke up today. Hey kids, how many of y'all woke up today? Yeah. <laughs> how many of you, when you woke up, you took a breath of air? There was air there. And if you were in a bed and you were in a, in a place that was safe, and if you wanted food, you could eat food. And here you are, right here at church, you were in some form of of transportation, your car, you got in your car, your van, your truck, whatever you did, and here you came to church. Look at how God's blessed us. Look at all the things God has done for us and given to us in in the mundane things of our life. Learning to be thankful for each and every one of them learning how to live every moment. And one of the biggest struggles in that, the greatest enemy of gratitude is comparison. Look, I know that Facebook is good. I know that it has some really good things. Facebook actually helps you keep up with people that you know now and you're friends with now, but people in your past and you can reconnect. And if Facebook wasn't so good, why is it being so successful? Why are people enjoying it so much? I'm not on Facebook, I'm not on Facebook because it's too much, it takes too much time. And because I'm a pastor and I can say things too quickly. And if you have a Facebook account, more than likely if you can say things too quickly, you do. So I stay off. But one of the negative things about Facebook or other social media is that people don't always represent themselves accurately. On Facebook, I have the perfect family. I am the perfect person, I have the perfect kids, I have the perfect vacations and talk about all the perfect things that I have, but not talk about all the struggles and the difficulties and the hard times and it ain't so perfect times. And so what happens is, is that sometimes, and I've heard this from so many people, that on Facebook while I'm watching, reading of other people, I think to myself, well, I can't take those kinds of vacations. I don't live in that great of a house. I don't live in those good things that other people have. And maybe I'm not so successful as other people are. Maybe my life isn't as good as that person's life. What I've discovered is, is that there are no super people And there are no people that have it all together. But sometimes in social media, we get a totally different view. There were two kids who lived out in the country and they loved living out there, but they they could only go to their property line, to the fence line out in their property. And across the fence and out in the valley, way in the distance, they could see a house. And every time they looked at the house, it just looked so beautiful. And when the sun would hit it just right, it looked like a golden house. When they'd look out at that house, they were just amazed by it. And they would sit there or stand there, right there at the fence, and they would sort of look over the fence and look at that house and think, oh, wouldn't life be better if we lived in that beautiful house? If only I could live in that house. I could just imagine what my room would be like in that house. I can imagine how much fun it would be in the golden house. And year after year, they would look at it and think about what that house must be like, that beautiful, beautiful house. Well, they grew older and they were given more permission to to roam and they were given permission to go over that fence and go up to that house. But their parents said, now you can't go in the house, but you can walk up to the house. And when they got to the house, they were shocked. It was a rundown, abandoned house. Nobody lived in it. Many of the windows in the house were broken. They could hardly believe their eyes when they got so close to the house and they really realized, wait a minute, this house from a distance looks so beautiful, looks so great, but now that I am up close, this is a dump. I cannot believe how bad this house is. And then they looked back at their house and they were shocked how beautiful their house looked. I mean, in the sunlight, their house just looked golden. It just shone, it was just so beautiful. And they looked back at their house and they said, wow, look at my house. I live in the golden house. And isn't it so true? When we look at people from a distance and we don't see all their struggles and all their problems and all the difficulties they're going through, we just see how good it looks from a distance. But when we get up close, we realize, oh God, how you have blessed me. All the things that you have given to me. Oh God, thank you so much for my life. One of the things that the Bible teaches us to do is stop comparing and be grateful for what God has already given to you. The second thing is simply this, limit your expectations of things and circumstances. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter four, verse 11 and 12, not that I speak for one, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Paul is describing the ups and downs The ups and downs, the ups and downs, times in which he didn't have two dimes to rub together and other times he had more than he needed. There are so many people that so believe that there is someone out there that's going to make me happy. There's some Prince Charming that is gonna make me happy. I gotta tell you, Prince Charming has bad breath Sometimes and Prince Charming has a whole lot of other things than bad breath. And by the way, the princess that Prince Charming marries has got a whole lot of issues and problems too. You see, other people will never make you happy. You can be happy with them, but they're not gonna make you happy. And other circumstances are not going to make you happy. There's a roller coaster in life, and there are times in which we're up and times in which we're down, and it's normal, and all of us go through it. And one of the keys to getting off the emotional roller coaster of circumstances is limiting our expectations of what they will or can do for us. I don't know, are, are there any Rocky fans in, in in the place? Anybody a Rocky fan? I'm, I'm, I am. I, I've, I've seen, I think, all the Rocky movies, and I, there were a couple of them I really like. a couple of them I'm not so good, but I, 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 I like the character. Rocky One sort of introduces us to Rocky Balboa, and Rocky Balboa is a guy that, is just a scrappy fighter in Philadelphia. That's really all he is. And, and he's, he doesn't wanna give up fighting and his wife wants him to and says, you gotta stop fighting because I know where it's gonna end up for you physically and even emotionally. And he said, I gotta fight. She said, why do you have to box? And his statement was this, because if I don't fight, I'm a bum. If I don't fight, I'm a bum. I'm nothing but a bum. And I'm asking you today, would you take the Rocky Balboa test? Not, not fighting, but what do you put in the, in, in the blank? If I don't have this, if I don't do this, I'm nothing but a bum. I, I, I haven't accomplished anything in my life. If, if, I, if I don't have my image of a nice person, I'm just a bum. If I am not a perfect parent, can I have everything just so perfect with my kids? I'm a bum. If my kids aren't successful, I'm a bum. If I am not making a certain amount of money, I'm a bum. If my kids don't accomplish this or that in sports, I'm a bum. What is it that you fill in the blank? And you put so much pressure on yourself and so much pressure on other people. And what the Bible is saying, you never can come to a place of genuine happiness in your life until you stop playing those games with your life. You've got to get out of looking at circumstances of your life and accomplishments in your life and individuals in your life to making your life a success. You've got to limit your expectations for circumstances to bring you happiness. And here's the third thing, it's simply this, you gotta draw in Christ's power. You gotta draw in Christ's power to bring you what you're actually looking for. In Philippians chapter four, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Instead of just depending on your own effort, I'll work harder, I'll try more, I'll put more in it. Instead of just looking on your own efforts, see the hand of God in your life. See the power of God and how he's moving in your life and learn to draw your strength from him. The Jerusalem Bible translation puts it this way, there is nothing I cannot master with the help of the one who gives me strength. As strong as Paul was, as as determined as he was, as as pressed on that he, he made in his life, he came to many times in his life where he said, I, I know I cannot go forward without the movement of God in my life. Paul had reached that place in a particular moment and in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he said, and God has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in your weakness. What does it mean? He was saying, if you look to me, I'll be the sufficiency of your life. When you don't have the strength, you don't have the talent, you don't have the ability, I will step in and I will be the strength of your life. Look to him. Part of how we come to a place of contentment in this life is realizing it's not all dependent on me, it is dependent upon God in me. You and I can live a life in which every moment of our life is found in contentment And in satisfaction, not in what we accomplish, but in what God does in and through our life. And God is saying to us, I want you to learn how to be happy. And the secret to your happiness is coming to know me and to know what I can do in and through your life and know that I really have a plan and you are in the middle of it. Learn to be contented with the work of God in your life and the provision of God in your life. And you will really find genuine happiness. Now, you know, it all begins with knowing Jesus. And if you've never given your heart to Christ, you can today. You can give your heart to him and see him begin to change you from the inside out. And this morning, I want to ask you, would you online as you're listening, would you give your heart to Christ? Would you this morning in this place at our Next Step Center, go and talk to one of our ministers about how you can know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior too? Online, there is a virtual Next Step Center. And A few moments when this service is finished, there'll be someone that comes on and shows you how you can contact a real person and talk to that person, one of our ministers, how you can know Christ, how you can grow deeper in your relationship with him. Would you open your heart to that today? Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, we thank you for all you've done in our life and how you have blessed us. God, I pray that you would move in hearts today that those who have not received Jesus as Savior, that this would be the moment of salvation in their life, that they would come and give their heart to Christ. And Father, I pray you'd move in hearts that are in person today to say, I am coming, making that decision. God, I want you in my life. Father, show us how we can learn to walk with you experience the joy and the genuine happiness of learning how to be content in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.